All right, uh, here's the text for today. All right, this isn't part of it, but maybe you know the answer to this. So I'm in Psalm 73. You remember this is a guy named Asaph. It changed. David's been doing the Psalms so far. This other guy comes in, and now he's doing the Psalms, and he's complaining and bemoaning before God, basically looking at other people's lives and those that don't know him know God or doing so well and living these wonderful lives and they're successful, they're good looking and, you know, everything that goes on in the world. And then he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Uh, here's the puzzle. You know, usually you would say something like, nevertheless, God, you are continually with me, right? So why does he say, nevertheless, I am continually with you? Just interesting. So ponder that, not too long, because we're going to hit a sermon here in a minute. But here's the, what gets me. It says, my flesh and my heart, so my body and my soul may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So I bet some of you actually feel that this morning. You feel like your body is failing. You feel like your heart, your soul is failing you. And God is the strength of your heart and your portion forever. So let's pray together. Oh God, so it seems like we can never get to a place uh, where um, there's no hope. We can never sink to a place where there's no hope. Uh, even if we go down into the deepest regions of the land of the dead, there's still hope. So, um, our bodies fail, our souls fail, but you're the strength of them. Would you uh, help us believe that and experience that? So right now, that's what we're going to ask for. Would you help us experience you as our strength? And then, Lord, we want to pray for our loved ones, our families, our friends, our church, everything from the children uh, to the youth uh, to adults to families. Oh, Lord, uh, may we experience you as the strength of our heart and even the strength of our bodies. And we want to pray specifically for people we know. And then, Lord, we want to pray for those that uh, maybe no one's going to pray for. Someone maybe that we even just met this week and a stranger that's become a new friend. 
Uh, they may or may not know you. Uh, so we're going to pray for them, and we're going to pray for people that don't know you by name right now so that you would become the strength of their life, of their soul, of their body. And then finally, Lord, we pray that for this town, for this city, we pray that uh, this church, for us, that we would be those kind of people that make friends with those whose bodies and whose souls may be failing. And that maybe, Lord, uh, you would use us to bring the strength of their heart and of their body to them. And so, Lord, would you grant that this happens? Would you grant that we would be used this way? Would you open doors for the gospel to run and for the gospel to triumph and for the gospel to reach and for the gospel to renew and for you, Jesus, to become the strength of Waco? The strength of your church in Waco, the strength of your people in Waco, and the strength of more and more and more and more people, your people, those that don't know you, those that you say you must go get also. Would you grant this, Lord? And oh, we're asking, <laughs> please use us. Use us. Let us be your instrument. Let us be your messengers. Let us be the friend by which you make new friends. And so, Lord, we ask all of this in the powerful, wonderful, uh, unbelievable, unfathomable, incomprehensible name of Jesus. And all God's people said, all right, so... Uh, so last week I mentioned, I think for the past two weeks, past two Sundays, I mentioned that um, there's a potential to study the Bible for about a six-week intensive, and we put up this little QR code. If it's there, we could still put it up right now. I'm going to give you some time. So I was thinking, like in my head, I said, well, if 20 people sign up, I'll do it. Um, so I just wanted to do a, an interest to see who's all interested in doing this. So 39 people, 39 of you have signed up for this. Uh, so we're doing it. It's going to happen. It's probably going to happen sometime in February. Um, I'm thinking on a Tuesday night. I checked with the athletic schedule for track and for soccer. That seems to be the best night, well, at least for my family. <laughs> so we're going to do it that way. Um, it'll be an hour and a half class. Uh, you will walk away at the end of six weeks being able, being confident, being skilled in opening your Bible anywhere and wrestling with it, being able to study it, being able to find and locate the original meaning of it, and then unbelievably so, actually experience Jesus with the Bible. What a deal. 
a skill for the rest of your life and for the sake of others. Uh, so in the meantime, you want to pick up this book, Gospel Arc, and you could start reading it, but this is kind of our textbook, and we're going to take our time. Probably, I'm trying to think, we're going to take one passage. So for six weeks, we're going to take one passage, and you're going to study that one passage and learn how to do that. Okay? So maybe, because we're going to start Acts next week, we could pick up a passage in Acts down the road, study it together, and then hear it preached. That might be fun. So we'll see. All right. So Acts starts next week. And the series title is Jesus Acts. That's what we're doing. So it's not the Apostles Acts. It's not the Acts of the Apostles, which is cool because that's true. God uses us. And it's not even ultimately the Acts of the Holy Spirit, though that's true. It's Acts of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. All right. So you've heard of mood swings, right? Has anyone not heard of mood swings? Does anyone not have a mood swing? <laughs> All right, so one night you go to bed fairly happy, right? A good mood. You uh, had a good day of work. It was okay. You know, school was uneventful. The people in your life like you in this moment, right? Uh, you eat chicken queso soup for dinner. Amazing. You watch an episode of Yellowstone. You... Read a chapter in Acts. You briefly talk to the Lord about what's going on with you and with other people. And then you get seven hours of sleep. You're in a good mood when you go to bed. And then in the morning, you wake up in Mordor. And there are orcs. And there are trolls. And there are goblins. There's gloom and doom. The sun didn't rise, right? You're now in a foul mood. And what happened? Nothing. You just woke up. So what's happening? We call that a mood swing, right? So most Christians today, many Christians today, and many church leaders today, and many pastors, and many Bible experts and churchgoers are reporting today something even more uh, puzzling and weird than a mood swing, but a faith swing. Right? So one moment they trust God. One moment they're experiencing joy in God. One moment they're experiencing this close connection with God. One moment they're experiencing spiritual energy to do life. They say, I can do all things, we think. And then the next moment they doubt God. The next moment they're experiencing an emptiness for God. They're experiencing a distance with God. They're experiencing spiritual depression with God. I am sinking they say. A faith swing. What happened? How did it happen? And is there any help for us when it happens? So what if I told you you don't have to pretend everything is awesome anymore? Like help number one, it's just basic help and just trying to get us into this text. That's what we're going to do. We're going to figure out how do you, why, why do faith swings happen? We're going to figure that out. 
and then we're going to get some help on how to deal with them, okay? But what if, like right now, preliminarily, what if you were told, what if I was to tell you, what if the Bible was to say to you, you don't have to pretend that everything is awesome? You don't, because everything is not awesome. You don't have to live in Disney World this morning. For some of you, you might be checking out Christianity for the first time, and this is so strange because when you look at Christians and you look at the church, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome, right? Disneyland. Well, what if you didn't have to live in Disneyland? By the way, do you know when I knew Disneyland wasn't real? It wasn't when Buzz Lightyear walked by. It's when I went to throw something in the trash, and it smelled like a bouquet of roses, right? And it was cleaner than a surgeon's scalpel. And I thought to myself, no, trash smells. Trash is unclean. This can't be real. What if I told you you don't have to manage the madness of your life anymore? Managing the madness looks like stuffing your sadness. What if you didn't have to do that anymore? What if you didn't have to fear doom anymore? What if you didn't have to medicate, escape, manage the madness, control everything anymore. What if I told you there's hope, like right now, like immediately? What if I told you there's help right now, immediately? I want you to look at the first word of our text. You put the text up. Immediately. Immediately happens three times in this text. And the reason why it's immediate is because the whole point of this text is immediacy. The whole point of this text is fasten your seatbelts. The whole point of this text is there is hope for you now, immediately. The whole point of this text is there's help for you immediately, right now. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So right now, it's not dark, right? So this is before evening. This is at the, he's just fed the 5,000. Why is he dismissing the, the disciples so quickly and sending them ahead of him? The reason why is because after feeding the 5,000, this group of people in this region, they're very uh, revolutionary-like in this area. They've been craving a Messiah, a Roman well, uh, an Israelite Napoleon who would come and defeat the Roman Goliath. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to have any part of that. So he quickly dismisses the crowds, sends them to the other side. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening had come, so the sun is now set, it's dark. He was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, so this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so the disciples have been struggling with the storm for at least nine hours. He came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They cried out in fear, but immediately 
second time. He spoke to them saying, take heart. Now I'm going to give you the literal translation. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He walks on the water and he comes to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, third time, reached out his hand and took hold of him. Why didn't he just speak and say, don't sink? Arise. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, My word. That's that translation. You are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you. Thank you that we get to luxuriate in your text. Thank you that you walk into our lives on the wind of the word. So, oh, Jesus, summon us, command us to come to you on the water. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, faith swings, mood swings, faith swings. One minute you have great faith, next minute you have little faith. What help is there for you? What help is there for me, you ask, right? So here we go. Jesus, verse 31, immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him. Peter, saying to him, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I just want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say to him. He, doesn't, he says, oh, you have little faith. He doesn't say, oh, you have no faith. So why is this significant? Why would this be important? It means that Peter has faith. That's what it means. So Peter has faith. He has little faith, but he has faith. Now, don't miss this. Just two seconds. So think about this. Two seconds before, oh, you have little faith. He's walking on water. Two seconds before this, he is walking on the sea. Two seconds before this, he's walking on the storm. Two seconds before this, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, it's a first-class condition clause, which means it's assumed true. So, Lord, if it's you, and it is, command me, tell me, just say the word. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. This is absolutely Amazing! Did anyone else in the boat even think of this? Did anyone else in the boat even ask for this? Did anyone else in the boat even say this? Did anyone else in the boat have such amazing, great, strong faith? Peter is experiencing joy in God. Peter is experiencing a close connection with God himself. Peter is it's pumping through his, bra- his, his brain, his, his body. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And then what happens to Peter? A faith swing. 
He goes from this amazing faith to this little faith, but he still has faith, but it's just amazing how quickly it happened. Are you amazed at how quickly it happens in your life? I mean, two seconds is all it was for Peter. Boom, boom. What help is there for me? Here's the first help in the text. The first help in the text is face them. Face your faith swings. Face them. Honestly face them. Honestly admit them. In other words, turn to them. When, when you have your faith swing, it's not freak out time, though you want to. It's face them. This text is so bold. This text is so courageous. This text is so brave because it's calling us to face our faith swings. Why? Because the Bible does. The Bible assumes you have faith swings. The Bible is written to people who have faith swings. So you, you can stop pretending you don't have them. You can stop trying to manage them. Instead, you can face them. So, that's help number one. But how do you do this? Like, how do you face your faith swings? The number one way to do this is to see yourself in the Bible. Think about it. The Bible assumes you have them. The Bible is written to people that do. So the number one way you can actually grow in facing Whatever comes at you, the storms in you, the storms coming at you, the storms coming out of you, your faith swings, the most immediate way that you can grow in doing that is to read the Bible as if it's written to you. So, when you see Peter, see yourself. So, when you see the disciples, see yourself. So when you read about the crowds that followed him, see yourself. So when you read about Rahab, see yourself. When you read about Jonah, see yourself. See how this works? This is also a very important one. When you read about David and Goliath, don't see yourself in David. That's the easy one, right? But you're not a king, and you don't kill Goliaths. Maybe you need to see yourself in the Philistines. If you come to today's text thinking and you're feeling and you're experiencing, I don't have faith swings. In fact, my faith is continual. My faith is continuous, strong, great, amazing. You know what's going to happen? You're going to misread this text. You're never going to get this text. It's going to be a closed book to you, Luther would say. You're not going to understand it. Uh, the spiritual phenomenon of not getting the text, of not understanding the Bible, it's something called spiritual blindness. It's this inability, and the major 99% of our inability to understand the text, of our inability to get the text, is because we're spiritually blind. But we're spiritually blind in this way. We don't see ourselves in the text. And so I know some of you are thinking, because I know you, you're like, okay, he said 99%. Well, what's the other 1%? What's the other 1% reason why I don't get the Bible or I don't understand it? Oh, it's just real simple. We're stupid. So 99% of it is it's a spiritual phenomenon. We come to the text and we're trying to understand the text, but we don't get the text because 
We don't see ourselves in the text. When we get to this text, we see Peter and we go, poor Peter, but we don't see, I'm Peter. Now, the moment you begin to see, I'm Peter, I have face wings. You know what happens? The Bible opens up to you. The Bible is an open book to you. The Bible is hope for you. The Bible has come to help you. Amazing. The Bible is written to you. Help number one. Face your faith swings. Why? Because the Bible does. Number two. Help number two. Here it is. I'm just going to tell you, know Jesus more. Right? We hear that all the time. Yeah, I know, I know. Know Jesus more. But let's look at it. And in the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he, who's he, Jesus, came to them, walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I want you to notice that it's Jesus. Right? It's Jesus. But they don't see him. It's Jesus. But they see a ghost. They see fear. This is so important. If you really want to understand you and you really want to understand your kids and you really want to understand the person to the left of you and the right of you, do you know what the first documented human emotion in the history of the world is? Do you know when, when the first human emotion is documented, when the first human emotion is like, what's the first human emotion when this dark power called sin comes into the world. What's the first human emotion? And it's documented for us. Fear. That means, that explains that fear is in your very bones. You can't shake Fear. Sure, you might be able to, like, take some ibuprofen when the fever spikes. But you always have a low-grade fever of fear. Always. Fear is in your thinking the way you see the world. Fear is in your feelings, anxiety, stress, dread, worry. Fear is in your experiencing. Fear is in your relating. You fear rejection. You fear loneliness. You fear not having approval. You fear not being important in people's eyes. Fear is in your doing. You fear failure. You feel not being enough. You fear not being good enough. Fear is in your relationship with God. Fear is in how you relate to yourself. Fear is in how you relate to people. Fear is in your bones and the way you handle everything in life. I see ghosts everywhere. Of course you do. You've got fear in your bones. How in the world 
do you deal with that? Age of anxiety? Of course we are. What help is there for me, you ask? What kind of help? What kind of help can get into my bones to drive out fear? Know Jesus more. Matthew 4, 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. It's a ghost, immediately. It's a ghost, I'm afraid, immediately. It's a ghost, I'm not going to make it, we're not going to make it. Do you see what I'm seeing? Immediately, immediately, immediately. Jesus says, take heart, I am. Now this is like phenomenal. Because what Jesus just did when he says, it's a ghost, take heart, I am, he just like summarized who God is in all the Old Testament. And later when he says the same thing, these guards come to get him and they go, are you the Christ? And he goes, I am. And they all hit the dirt. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Amazing. So when Jesus sees their fear deep in their bones, what does he immediately do, right? This is what happens. What does he immediately do? Well, immediately, he has compassion on them. Immediately, he speaks to them. Immediately, he acts for them. Immediately, he says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. In other words, how does Jesus deal with your ghosts? How does Jesus deal with your fears? He reveals himself more. He gives knowledge of himself more. He increases your knowledge of him more. He moves closer to you more and immediately. And little faith becomes big faith. And Peter answered him, right after Jesus says this, right after Jesus I see ghosts. It's a ghost. Take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out there with you. Lord, if it's you, let me come and walk on the sea. Let me come and walk on ghosts. Let me come and walk on fears. Let me come. Let me come to you, Jesus. Let me, Jesus, know your greatness. Let me, Jesus, walk in your power. Let me, Jesus, know your peace. Let me, Jesus, walk in your victory. Let me, Jesus, come to you on the water. Let me walk on the storms. Jesus says, come. Peter, come. Time out. Little faith cannot do this. Little faith cannot walk on ghosts 
Little faith is afraid of ghosts. Little faith is mastered and controlled and dominated by fears. Only great faith can walk on ghosts. Only great faith walks on water. Strong faith walks on ghosts. Strong faith walks on fears. Jesus said, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and came to Jesus. How are you going to get this great faith? How are you going to go from little faith? When little faith is present, you see ghosts. When little faith is present, you are overwhelmed and overcome by anxiety and stress and fear. How do you know? You're like, Jeff, how do I know I have little faith? Are you overwhelmed with emotions? Yes, you have little faith. I'm, I'm afraid, like, not low-grade all the time. Jesus says, you have little faith. Oh, how do I get great faith? How do I get a faith that controls my doubts and my fears? Know Jesus more, this text says. It says, like, I don't know how else to say it. The text just says, you want great faith? You got to know Jesus more. You want to walk on your fears? You need to know Jesus more. You want to live like a close connection with God? You got to know Jesus more. You want to know how to live this Christian life? You need to know Jesus more. You want to know how to like to relate to your spouse? You need to know Jesus more. You want to know how to parent? You need to know Jesus more. You want to know to have meaningful energy in your vocation and have a sense of mission and call and what you do? You need to know Jesus more. You want to be like energetic in your call? You need to know Jesus more. You want to know why? Like, why is there no joy in my life? You need to know Jesus more. What help is there for me? Know Jesus more. Know Jesus more and you will walk on your ghosts. Know Jesus more and you will begin to walk on your fears. Know Jesus more, you will begin to walk on the water. Know Jesus more, you will begin to walk on the storms that are inside of you and the storms that come at you. Know Jesus more. Listen to Dr. Martin Lowe-Jones on this. The antidote to depression, the antidote to depression is to have a knowledge of him. And you get that in his word. You must take the trouble to learn it. Learn what? The knowledge of him. It's difficult work but you have to study it and give yourself to it. The tragedy of the hour, it seems to me, is that people are far too, de far too dependent for their happiness upon meetings. <laughs> it's just interesting. 
This has been trouble. This has been the trouble for many years in the Christian church, and this is why so many Christians are miserable. Their knowledge of him, their knowledge of the truth is defective. Now listen to Jesus in another place in the Bible. He kind of picks up the same theme on how knowing him is everything. It's everything. He says, if you abide in my word, in other words, what he's saying, if you abide in my word, he says, if you continually read my word, if you continually like luxuriate in my word, if you continually rest, rely, rejoice in my word, hold it, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You know Jesus more, you will have more faith. You know Jesus more, and these things that so easily and maybe so powerfully overwhelm us and roll over us and dominate us and control us, you will begin to start walking on them. You will begin to, like, become yourself. Faith swings. Little faith, great faith. Little faith, great faith. Faith swings. Is there any help for me? What kind of help is there for me? Help number one, face them. The Bible does. Help number two, know Jesus more. And the Bible is how. Now, some of you, though, this morning are thinking this. I know this. Some of you are thinking, but is there something below little faith? I'm sinking. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water and came to Jesus. And when he sees the wind, he becomes afraid. And he starts sinking. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, a lot can be said again, right? I can just beat this thing to death. How looking at Jesus, knowing Jesus more, enables you to walk on water. How looking at Jesus, knowing Jesus more, enables you and keeps you from sinking. How looking at Jesus... Knowing Jesus more is how you grow in faith. How looking at Jesus and knowing Jesus more is how you do the Christian life. We could talk a lot about that. We have. We also could say this. It's what happens when you don't look at Jesus. This is in the text, right? When you don't look at Jesus, when you don't know Jesus more. Let's say you look at the storm instead of looking at Jesus. If you look at the storms in your life instead of looking at Jesus, you sink. If you look at your doubts and you look at your fears and you look at your ghosts, you sink. If you look at yourself and you look at your performance, you sink. But what if you are already sinking? What if you can't stop looking at the storm? What if you can't stop looking at your doubts and your fears? What if you can't stop looking at ghosts and your anxieties and your stresses? What if you can't stop looking at your performance? What if you can't stop looking at human approval? What if you can't? What if I'm sinking? 
Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and takes hold of him. Jesus immediately takes out his hand and reaches you and holds you and keeps you from falling. Now to him who is able to keep you from sinking immediately. Jesus will never let you sink. And I know some of you are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm already sinking, Jeff. No, you're not. No. There is a worse place to sink. And Jesus will never let you sink. Never. Never. Why? Because he already did. He already sank to the very bottom for you. Jesus, Jesus' sinking is why you'll never sink. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on water. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on storms. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on your ghosts and your fears. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on all your overwhelming emotions. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on your conflicting, frightening thoughts and feelings. The sinking of Jesus is how you walk on being addicted to performance. The sinking of Jesus. The sinking of Jesus. He'll never let you sink. 